cool song. Thank you guys so much for leading us in that. If you would be seated at this time, that would be great. For those of you who are newer to Christ Church, welcome. Again, if you're joining us online, uh, my name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here on staff and excited to just open up God's Word with you today. So grab your Bible, go over to Luke chapter 10. We find ourselves today in the, the middle of a series called Take Aim, if you've been with us. We started this a few weeks back, and we are talking about the marks of a disciple and what, what a disciple, uh, what are the marks of a disciple in someone's life, right? And one of the marks is drawing near to Christ. It's a close, intimate relationship with Jesus. And so for the last few weeks, we've been talking about uh, principles. We've, we've bounced to some different passages and looked at the principles of drawing near to Christ. And for the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at a few stories in Scripture real-life stories of people drawing near to Christ, and then things that might hinder or keep us from drawing near to Christ. So over in Luke chapter 10, we'll be there here in just a minute. It's a, it's a short little story that if you're reading along, it can be kind of just like a little blip that, that you miss. It's almost like this little side conversation. Oh yeah, then this one time Jesus had this conversation with Martha, and she said this, and he said this, and, and it's like this little story that has massive significance, as you'll see as we, as we unpack and work our way through this today, just dealing with busyness and distractions. I was, on, I was on Facebook recently, and I saw this quote that just made me chuckle. You'll probably agree. Adulthood is saying, hey, but after this week, things will slow down a bit. Over and over until you die, right? Has anybody else felt that? Hey, I just this is a busy season, and now, but now things are going to slow down, and, and then you get to that next week, and it's like you find that there's a bunch of new stuff now that's crowded in, and the truth is, is that it never actually slows down. You might be like, yeah, that's, that's me. That's the pace of my life, and I have so many important things, so many priorities. How do I decide? How do I know if I'm even hitting the mark, Right? How do I know how to make decisions and decide what's, what's most important? Because when everything's important, nothing's important, right? And this is what this, this passage deals with today, sitting at Jesus' feet. We, we live in a very busy, fast-paced culture. Now, let me just kind of carefully define that word culture so that we understand what we're saying, because I'm going to refer to it multiple times today through this message. But culture is, is the environment or the feeling of a, of a person or a place or an organization, and it's dictated, it's created by values, expectations, whether they're spoken or unspoken expectations, priorities, and pace. Among other things, those are some of the major things that comprise the culture of a certain person or group or place and organization. Values, expectation, priorities, and pace. Now this happens, culture happens automatically. It happens intentionally or unintentionally. And so today I want to challenge you to think about the culture of your life, the culture of your home. Does it, is it reflective of kingdom culture or is it reflective of the world and just the busy frenetic pace that we, we live within? This might be your first time hearing this story today. I'm mindful of that. It's a fantastic story. You'll love it. If you're at the beginning of your journey of following Jesus or maybe even considering following Christ, this is a story you'll come back to over and over. And the long-time saints, the long-timers who've been following Jesus are like, man, this, I love this story. Let's read this together over in Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 38 to 42. 
Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me alone to serve? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken from her. Let's pray before we approach this this morning. Lord, we open up our hearts before you. And and much like we just read in this passage of the busyness, the demands, the the many things that we have to do and that cause worry and anxiety and stress and frustration, Mary chose to just sit at your feet. And so, so today we choose to do that, not just in this moment, but as a regular discipline in the pace and the culture of our lives. Today as we sit, would we hear you reframe our our thinking, we cast our burdens on you, the overwhelming troubles that we bring, we cast it on you. Thank you that you meet us in this moment in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So kind of the emphasis, the thing is, as we talk about this passage today, the idea is, is this Jesus prioritizes sitting over setting. Okay, Mary is, she's, she's most concerned with sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha is wrapped up in the setting or the, the, the circumstance, the surrounding. Jesus prioritizes sitting over setting. Might I submit to you today as we talk about this that you have way too many things going on in your life way too many important, busy, pressing demands, expectations. You are far too busy, and God, there's, there's too many things going on. You're far too busy not to sit at Jesus' feet. You're too busy not to sit. Now, this is not a license for laziness or, or some permission to just be passive, but it's a reframing of priority. See, this, this passage is, is a contrast. It's a story that contrasts Mary and Martha, and the contrast is not Mary good, Martha bad. The contrast is Mary chose what's most important. Martha was caught up with good things. Oftentimes, the tension that we feel is not between good and bad. It's easy to say no to bad things. It's hard to say no to good things so that we can say yes to the most important things. Amen, church? So this story reveals this truth. Like every good story, if you're, if you're a storyteller, you realize that a story has a setting. Okay, where are we? What are we talking about? And then it has a conflict. There's a tension. There's this rising like, ooh, boy, there's a conflict there. There's definitely conflict in this story. Then there's a climax that is like, that's the point of the story, which resolves the tension, and then there's, and then there's a resolution and a new setting. So let's kind of jump into this, the setting. Now is Mary, verse 38, now as Mary went... As, excuse me, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. So this is Martha's home and she's welcoming Jesus in. Now culturally, women did not have the rights and the privileges. They were kind of seen as second class citizens. Oftentimes they didn't have education. And so women were not supposed to hold positions of, of power and prominence in that day and age. 
And they certainly were not supposed to be sitting and listening to the teachings of, of Jesus or to the teachings of the rabbi. So you have these kind of cultural tensions already playing out. As we talk about this today, though, it's, it's so important to note that this is not a, a female issue at all. Although it is set in, the, the setting is in uh, Martha's home and talking about Mary and Martha as kind of the main characters, players in the story. It's not a female problem. This is a human issue that this passage addresses. It's the same for guys as it is for ladies. But Martha welcomes Jesus in. It's important to note that the, the posture of her heart is, is towards, she loves Jesus. She loves him. You see over in John 11 and 12, more interaction between Jesus, Martha, and Mary, and then their brother Lazarus, who in that passage has died. Jesus loves these guys. They love Jesus. She's welcomed him into her home. She's working hard to make the setting just right, as opposed to what you'll see over in chapter 11, Jesus having a meal in a, in a Pharisee's home. The tone is very, very different. So note that Jesus, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus have a, a fantastic relationship. They love each other deeply. Verse 39, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. This would have been very out of the ordinary. This would have made for some real awkwardness. Now just kind of picture this. We get ourselves in the story. They're, they're in the front room or whatever. Martha's in the kitchen and she's just working, working hard to, to make sure that the setting is just right. And then there's Mary. And she's just sitting right in the middle of like all the dudes. Probably, probably James and John were like, you're sitting in my seat. You know, I can imagine. Martha's like, I don't care. I'm sitting right square at Jesus' feet right at his feet, and I'm listening. I'm sitting here listening. It would have been a little bit out of the ordinary. Jesus doesn't seem to mind at all. He's like, that's great. As you'll see, he actually commends it. Let's look in verse 40. Now, here's the conflict. But Martha was distracted. Underline that. Circle that word in your Bible. You probably have to go back to this on a regular basis. Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. See, she's distracted. She's pulled in many directions by important things, but she's lost sight of the big picture. Martha's focused on setting. Mary's focused on sitting. Now, now kind of go with me into this story. I don't think you have to read too far to know that this is probably not the first time that Martha and Mary have had problems in their relationship <laughs> They're sisters, right? And you realize as sisters or as brothers, there's going to be some personality conflicts you have. Martha seems like she's kind of that type A, very just, man, she's on it. She's got her list. The things are getting crossed off, and she's a hard worker. She runs a tight ship. She's just like, here's what needs to be done, right? Any, any kind of Marthas in the room, right? Come on. There's no Marthas here today. We're, okay, there's no Marthas. <laughs> and then there's Mary, right? And then there's Mary. She's just camping out at Jesus' feet, man. She's a lover. She's more of like the relational. I just, man, I care more about the relationship. I just want to be with Jesus. And, and Martha's like, well, that's, that's awesome, Mary, but, you know, there's some work to do. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> My guess is this is not the first time that Mary had driven Martha crazy. <laughs> Food preparation was kind of a big deal, so it took a lot of time and responsibility. And, and then to, to make it worse, again, just the cultural expectation was that the women were going to be doing the, the preparing and the serving, and the guys were sitting at Jesus' feet. Now, right, wrong, or whatever, that was the culture of the day. Now, I love, love Martha here. She proceeds to ask Jesus a question. 
do you not care? Now, she's not exactly asking a question. She's more making a statement, right? You ever, you ever ask one of those accusatory questions where it's not actually really a question? You're kind of like, do you not care? It's like, I know you don't care, and I'm asking it in the form of a question so to make you feel bad about yourself, right? <laughs> it's an accusatory question. Do you not care? And then she attempts, this is, this is kind of hilarious. She attempts to direct or to instruct the one she just called Lord. Like, Lord do you not care? Here's what you need to do. The tension now is like, it's so thick, right? Can you imagine the dynamics in the room? First of all, Mary's probably like, okay, here goes Martha. Here we go. Here we go. All right, Martha, get it all out, you know. The guys are like, oh boy, you know, Martha, she's upset, you know. Everybody's feeling the tension. Can you feel the tension in the room, you know? Look at Jesus' answer. I love this. Jesus answered amidst all the other voices and the competing voices and the, the expectations and the priorities and the pace and the values you need to be doing to Jesus. Jesus answered, which is a very important phrase, says who? Says who? Jesus answered. Martha, once wasn't enough. Martha, Martha, double emphasis there. So tender, so gentle. Like Martha, Martha. You just kind of see the smile on Jesus' face like Martha, Martha. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I imagine how he said, like, Mar- Martha. Martha. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know how he said it, but he said it twice, right? Martha. Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get frustrated. He doesn't do the, how dare you? Do you know who I am? How dare you tell me what? He doesn't do any of that. He doesn't react with stress and frustration. He just calmly redirects her. He goes, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. See, Martha was consumed with all of the things she was trying to do for Jesus, and Mary was consumed with what Jesus was doing for her. And that's the posture of a disciple. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ in a nutshell. You don't, it's not about what you do for Jesus. It's not about what you don't do that makes you such a great person. It's about what Jesus has done and does for you. Sitting at Jesus' feet is the mark of a disciple drawing near to Christ. So he doesn't react in, in this angry, snap-back way. He just gently redirects. Or you know in Proverbs it says that harsh words stir up anger, but a gentle answer turns away wrath, right? He does, he does exactly that. He doesn't respond with the same stress and anxiety. And he says this in verse 42. Now, here's, here's the resolution, okay? We hit the, the peak of the climax. The resolution, Jesus said, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. I love the intentionality of, of Jesus here. He moves her from many things that cause stress, worry, and anxiety to like one thing, simplicity, that brings a, a centered peace. He's like, Mary, you're, you're freaking out. But it's because you've lost perspective. You've lost the big picture. You've, you've prioritized the setting over the sitting. The whole reason that you're making this meal is because, because of the relationship with me. That's, that's not the big picture, right? He moves her from many things to one thing. He helps her to recognize the difference between important and necessary. And then, and then he says this in verse 42. You know, we're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but Mary chose 
the good portion. Chose. Chose. She decided. And it will not be taken from her. Isn't it encouraging to know that the one thing that your soul, as a human being, the one thing you need the most can never be taken from you, right? You lose, you can lose a lot of stuff. You can lose house, you can lose friends, you can lose possessions, you can, you can lose, uh, you know, a life of a loved one. You can lose a lot of things, but you can never lose the relationship you have with Christ, and that is the one thing your soul needs the most. Okay, so where does this lead us today? You might be like, I don't, you don't need to even say anything more. I, I got it, I got it, you know, like, because the applications of this passage are, are just, they just fall, they're so natural, they fall right out. Here, let me just mention a few. The first one is this. Uh, what do we do with this? We take time to align. Take time to align. There is inevitably a tension that we live in between the culture of this world and the culture of the kingdom. You've probably felt the tension. How do I know how to prioritize my time? There's so many important things. I don't know how to do them all. Thus, I'm stressed and worried and anxious. Alignment being the key word. This is something that we need to do on a regular daily basis. Now, if your car gets out of alignment, the first thing that indicates it is, is something like this, right? There's your problem right there. <laughs> your tire, if your tire looks like this, you've got a problem with alignment in your car. It means that the tires are slightly off and, and they're kind of pulling in opposite directions, and the tire is what gets worn down first. It's the indicator. If you, if you don't align your car over time, this causes greater problems and puts you in a more compromised position of safety, right? This can cause more wear to the, to the suspension parts, and if you're driving in the rain, you can hydroplane easy, lose control, get into an accident. I mean, it's an important thing to take the time to align, and, but the indicator is, is the wearing of the tires. You might be like, I, that's what I feel like. <laughs> I feel worn down. No wonder I'm bald, <laughs> you know? That's me right there. <laughs> Stressed out, worn down, balding, balding. Oh, I can joke about that because that's, you know, that's me, you know? You feel, you feel worn. The culture uh, and of the world and the pace of the world will cause you to get out of alignment. And you're either aligning your culture and your values to the kingdom and following Jesus or you're, you're by default aligning to the expectations and the culture of the world around you and the demands that the world puts on you. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, either you determine your alignment or it's determined for you. Misalignment happens all by itself. You don't have to try to get misaligned. It happens by itself. The intentional, purposeful move is to align. And we do that on a daily basis. We're constantly straightening out our priorities. It's not one and done. You ever feel like that? Man, I just got my priorities straightened out and then another bomb goes off. And you're like, I got to straighten them all out again. Well, that's just how life is. That's the tension that we're feeling in this, this passage. It's the clash of cultures. Jesus answered Martha is such a, a, a huge phrase with so much power in it. Let me ask you this question. Says who? Think about that. 
I got all this to do. I got to do this and I got to do that and I got to I got to keep and I got to get the kids to soccer and I got to make the meal and I got to answer all those phone calls and the email and I'm I'm all concerned about the the world and what's going on and and I got I I have to do something about all like says who who's who is the one who's determining how you spend your time see drawing near slowing down resting Centering your mind and heart. These are kingdom values and following Jesus often feels very much against the grain. You see, our culture does things like stresses out, thinks about the bills, the world issues, the war, the politics, the emails, the texts, the voicemails to be answered. And don't post anything on Facebook because then you got to go back and like and comment on everybody's likes and comments, right? you got to run a tight ship, and you got to make sure people are coming over. Everything looks great, and you run a tight ship in your house, and, and the appearance is everything. you got to have a flawless setting. you got to be worried about the acceptance of others and fitting in and your friends. And there's all these, like, ah, pulling you in all these different directions. No wonder that's what we feel like, right? That's the tension we live in. I mean, some, some people in our culture, it's like, I work 80 hours a week, and I don't sleep. I don't take a sick day. I plow through. I always leave vacation time over. I jam my schedule so that every minute of every day is jammed, and I'm worried, and I'm anxious and stressed out, but we wear it like a badge of honor. Isn't that kind of weird? Like, if you're not that, because busy is so admirable. We're busy! Your, your health is failing, you're worried, you're stressed, you're like all sorts of things going wrong, but, but it's like it's somehow a good thing in our culture. It's not. It's not. I know for me when I get stressed out and when I haven't taken the time to sit at Jesus' feet, I get disconnected from God, I get frustrated and then, then it keeps me up at night and I just, I'm like wrestling internally and <clears throat> yes, sometimes I get very impatient and snippy. I know it's hard to imagine. I know, I know, I know. But I get very impatient and snippy. You know and then who gets kind of the brunt of it? It's like your, your husband, your wife, or your kids. They kind of get the raw. Like when you haven't spent time at Jesus' feet and you're all wrapped up and you're distracted and you're frustrated and anxious by all these different things going on, they get the brunt of it, right? Some of the kids are like, yeah, that's, I get the, I'm the punching bag. You know, I come home sometimes and I, can, I, mean, I, don't even, I don't know how she does it, but, but my wife is like, I'll no, no quicker have set my bag down. And she's like, what's wrong? I'm like, is it that obvious? You know? <laughs> Nothing. I don't want to talk about it. And I would like run, run away into the room crying. You know? I want to withdraw. I know when I get in that place, I just want to withdraw. I want to disengage. I want to go veg out and watch college football, which stresses me out even more now. You know? And my wife is so good. She's like, you know what you need? You need an attitude alignment. Let me help you. I'm going to help align your attitude. Thanks, sweetheart. Appreciate that. Jesus prioritizes sitting over setting. The, the worried, anxious, stressed, that, that's why Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 to 30, he says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We read that and we're like, that sounds awesome. And, and I'm like, that's what it feels like when I come to church on Sunday. Or when I go to community group during the week. It's like, ugh, I can kind of just cast all my burdens on, on, on Christ, you see. But the, the posture of a disciple is 
Yes, it is a discipline and a holy rhythm to day by day sit at the feet of Jesus before everything else, but it's also an internal posture of the heart. So you can be sitting at the feet of Jesus and be on, on the phone in a conversation or at a, at a board meeting or working your job, fixing whatever, doing whatever you're doing, having, having dinner, in the, even in the busyness, you can still on the inside, because the Holy Spirit lives in you, be sitting at the feet of Jesus all the time. So I would encourage you not only to, to uh, make this a discipline of, of a regular rhythm, start first with sitting at Jesus' feet, but also just begin to develop even that, that mental picture. You kind of know what I'm saying, like you're on that phone call, and it's frustrating, or you're dealing with that person, and it's frustrating, and you're like, Jesus, I'm sitting at your feet, and I'm listening. I'm just listening. Your, your response comes out of the posture of sitting at Jesus' feet. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. So take time to align. Then here's, here's the second takeaway. This one's, well, this is where the tension point is in this story. The second takeaway is the surrender your agenda. Surrender your agenda. Uh, a few months ago, we, we wrapped up our kingdom culture message series. Maybe you were around for that. We worked our way kind of through Matthew 5 through 7, the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, talking about the kingdom of God Jesus was talking about. And, and the culture of the kingdom really does run so contrary to the culture of the world. And, and it, the byline of that message series was the upside-down kingdom. You remember that? Here's one of these upside-down truths that we find in Scripture. Or maybe I should say the right side up. Like, we're probably the upside-down ones. True freedom is found in surrender. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Freedom is me being able to do whatever I want to do when I want to do it, right? That's not freedom. Go ahead and try. You'll be very disappointed. True freedom is found in surrendering to Jesus, that's where you find true freedom. And, and oftentimes when we come to just sit at Jesus' feet and we're burdened and we're carrying weights and frustrations, as we sit at Jesus' feet and we surrender our agenda and we submit to his direction, we, we, we dispense with trying to tell him what he needs to do. He reframes our perspective and he gives us what we need the most. Oftentimes what we want in certain circumstances is very different than what we need in certain circumstances. But we think because we want it that it's the same as that's what we need. We were at um, the GCC conference in Toronto this past week. GCC is the Great Commission Collective. It's the, the network of churches that our church is involved in, churches all around the world. And each year they have an annual conference and just a great time. We were in Toronto and, and one of the speakers, uh, Brock Graham, he's a pastor in in Indianapolis, he, he's telling the story of uh, being an, an early church planter, and, and he, has, he has a mentor in his life who's just coaching him and walking him through because he's, he's planting this church, and he's dealing with all of the, the struggles and the heartache and the pain and the tensions of, of, of leading a church. And, and he goes to his mentor in, in his front room, and he's like, I am so upset, and I'm so, I'm, I just need you to hear me. I'm so discouraged I'm so stressed out. And, and he said his mentor goes, man, I just want you to sit down. Let's, let me just 
just listen to you. Get it all out. And he proceeds to just, it's this, and this person said this, and that didn't go the way I wanted it to go, and I'm dealing with this over here, and, and then I'm trying to take care of my home. And, and he's just, he's so worked up, and he, and he said his, his mentor just listened patiently. And he goes, hey, Brock, can I, can I pray for you? Brock's like, yeah, please do. So let's bow, let's bow our heads, and, and, and he said, Lord, would you please help Brock get his eyes off himself? <laughs> and Brock, so funny, he goes, man, and, and just kind of from my heart, out of my, my just deep love for, for this mentor, I just wanted to punch him in his mouth, just, you know? <laughs> but it was exactly what I needed. Oftentimes when we're busy and stressed and worried and anxious, we, just like Martha, we come to Jesus going, here's my problem, and here's the answer. I've done all the work for you, Jesus. I already figured it all out. I diagnosed it. Here's the problem, and here's what I need you to do, right? So when we come to Jesus, we don't come with this, like, I'm going to direct you and then get frustrated when you don't do what I want you to do. Have you ever been there with God when you're praying for something, and he doesn't seem to be doing what you want him to do? Like, man, I'm Martha. That's me. That's me. I've, I've identified the problem and the solution. Mary's not helping me. Clearly, Jesus, you're unaware, like, I'm going to clue you in. She's not supposed to be sitting there. She's supposed to be with me, and you don't seem to be doing anything about it, so why don't you tell her to just get, get up and come help me in the kitchen? And Jesus, Jesus, his response is so great. But you know, before we get to Jesus' response, let's just think for a moment here. When we are not in control of a situation that we want to, in our humanness, in our flesh, we do the very same thing that Martha does. We attempt to manipulate the situation. Kind of a strong word, but that is exactly what Martha's doing, bless her heart. She's trying to manipulate Jesus. Now, there's two big ways, because she, she goes, I'm stressed and Mary should be helping me, but I, I don't think it's probably too much of a stretch to, to say that Martha had probably already tried to say, Mary... Get up and help me. And Mary didn't respond the way Martha wanted her to. Okay, if that doesn't work, then I'm going to go and try to leverage Jesus and get him to make her do it. When we feel like we're not in control of a situation, we tend to manipulate people and even at times try to manipulate God. And the two, the two ways we manipulate are through guilt. Like, I'm going to make you feel bad. You should be doing, don't, don't you see what's going on here, Jesus, Martha? Don't you care? You know, she's like, no, I had no idea. And no, I don't care, come to think of it. You know, like, don't you care? Are you unaware? Jesus is like, Martha, Martha. You know, so we, we throw the shoulds on people. You should be doing this. And we try to guilt them into doing what we want them to do. Or the other thing we do is we go into silent mode. I mean, our kids are really good at this. Like, I'm so mad. And like, you just go over in your corner and you're like, you have lost my approval. I am no longer speaking to you. Oh, please, what must I do to regain your approval, you know? And once, once you pick them in, the kids are so good at that. You ever have your kids be like, I'm going to go in the corner and pout. And when you pick up that that's like just a manipulative tactic, you're like, hey, I'm sorry. Hey, okay, just let us know when you're ready to rejoin and we're over here having a great time, right? Like, and that just makes, makes them even more mad. Because you can't get what you want through human fleshly manipulative tactics. It doesn't work. 
So poor Martha, we, but we do the same thing. We attempt to control or to regain control, and Jesus just gently shows her the real problem. I'm, I'm blown away by this because we do this. We come to God and we go, here's my problem. I need more money, or I need to be healed of this thing, or my husband is an idiot. Like, I, need, I need a new one, right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, you, you name it. I've already determined the problem, and I've already determined the answer. Jesus, I've already done all the hard work for you. You just got to do what I'm saying. Jesus is like, oh, Martha, Martha, you know, Jeremy, Jeremy. He doesn't demean her. He doesn't mow her down. He doesn't respond and overcome stress with stress. He's not like, you think you're worked up. I'll show you worked up. And like, I'm going to overcome my fire with your fire. And, and then you get a big fire and you wonder why your house burned down, right? He doesn't do that at all. A soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. So as you come to Jesus, are you attempting to direct are you spending more, more time trying to figure out what you think the problem is and what you think the answer is versus just coming to Jesus and going, I'm not even sure. But you see a bigger picture. You see something I don't see. So Martha comes, here's my problem, here's the answer. Jesus goes, Martha, Martha, here's your real problem and here's your real answer, right? Right down to the roots. How are, how are you praying? Are you trying to direct God, or are you surrendering? Are you surrendering your agenda? What, what are you frustrated and disappointed with? What do you think God should be doing that he's not? That's the place of surrender. That's the place of saying, God, I'm just going to let go of everything that I think, because I, I think it's this, but clearly you disagree with me. How dare you disagree with me, right? Lord, what do you see? Sitting at the feet of Jesus and releasing the burden, coming in a posture of humility, taking time to align, surrendering your agenda. You know, parents, the best thing you can do for your kids is not give them everything they want whenever they want it. That will make you crazy. The best thing you can do for your kids is on a regular, daily basis, go sit at the feet of Jesus first. Because when you do that, again, this is not like a, busyness, serving good things bad, sitting good. It's not that we're not supposed to, live a, supposed to live a life of just contemplation and reflection all the time. What Jesus is saying here is that your doing comes out of your being, right? The best thing you can do for your kids is sit at the feet of Jesus and just receive from him and, and align your heart and your motives and then approach your day. And you know, you know this, man, when you don't start your day with Christ, you're already on the wrong path. All the time and the energy that you think you don't have gets spent sideways and wasted. But there's something about just sitting at Jesus' feet at first that aligns things. I don't want to overpromise and say it makes everything perfect. And again, it's sitting at the feet of Jesus is more of an internal posture that you do all the time. But it does show up in a daily rhythm as well. So take the time to align. Surrender your agenda. Because Jesus prioritizes sitting over setting. And then the third one is this. I just, just said it, kind of alluded to it. Prioritize being before doing. Alignment, surrender. And then this third one is really about the, the root issue here is identity. And, and worship even, even further down. Let me explain. We've been, we've been saying this for the last few months at Christ Church. We... We care more about your soul than your service. 
you're sitting over your setting. Because if you're doing all these things, trying to earn value or a sense of purpose, or, or trying to answer the question, who am I? If who you are comes out of what you do, it's, that's a rough road. Man, that is a very rough road. The root issue here, prioritize being before doing, the root issue is, is worship. Let me ask you this question. Where do you find or to whom gives you a sense of value, purpose, identity? Who determines your future, covers your past, provides for you? Where do you find your sense of worth and value and identity? The answer to that question answers what you worship. See, we think worship is like singing songs on Sunday. That, that's a form of worship. But worship is the depths of your every person worships. Just not every, every per, person worships Jesus. And when you have idolatry or false worship, it shows up in things like this. If you worship people's approval, and you worship busyness, and you worship productivity, and you worship what everybody thinks about how tight of a ship you run. Man, I, man, I can't tell you how many times I've seen homes that appear flawless, like they have, they have like a flawless setting, but a very hollow environment. You know the difference of what I'm saying? It's like everything looks great, but internally it's not. It just looks great. And that's a result of not sitting at Jesus' feet and not receiving the values and the virtues of the kingdom. Where do you find value, purpose, identity? That's what or who you worship. And this, we see, we see Martha getting sucked into this, like, I, I have to do, 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 do. And Jesus is like, no, you don't. You just got to be. Be before do. Your doing comes out of your being. Our culture tells us that your worth and your value are found in busyness, productivity, money, possessions, accolades, accumulation, status, position, title, power, what kind of car you drive, what kind of car you don't drive, what kind of house you live. I mean, all of that. All of that's like, that's who you are, right? Who are you? Are you a mom, a dad, a grandma, a grandpa, boss, employee, athlete, sportsman, popular, unpopular, male, female? Those are not the ultimate answers to who you are. Those are sub-identities. All of those things align when you settle who you are in Christ. You're a child of God loved by God. You are a follower of Jesus who sits at his feet and just loves Jesus and wants to follow him. And all of your doing comes from your being. When you're not secure in who you are in Christ, you have an identity crisis. You don't know who you are. Or you're, you've, you're looking for who you are in false gods and it's false worship it actually is very tormenting to your heart and your soul. It's torturous, torturous on the inside to not know who you are or where your identity is secure and settled. You know, in, in medieval times, speaking of torture, there was, there was a form of torture, and I'll spare you the picture, and you'll know why here in a second. There was a form of torture that they would... Um, due to people based on whatever crimes they had committed, treason or whatever. Remember, remember the movie Braveheart at the end when they, they tie his legs to, like, there's a rope on his legs and then there's on his arms and there's horses that are pulling him in different directions. 
what they would do is something like that. They would tie a rope to your right arm, one to your left arm, one to your left foot, one to your right foot, and then they would tie the other end of the rope to horses running in four opposite directions. And literally, they would pull your limbs off your body, tearing your arms and legs out of socket. And you know what the name of this form of torture was? Distraction. Distraction torture. Because the word distraction means to be pulled in many directions. That's a great picture. And in this story, Martha is distracted. On, on one arm, she's got this rope of her responsibility and her role and her job. Then she, on her left arm, she's like feeling this sense of comparison with Mary. How come she and me? Comparison. And then she's got the cultural expectations, all the outside, like this is what you should be doing, right? And then she's got the internal convictions of like, but I really love Jesus and I want to be serving and I want to exercise hospitality. And she's literally being pulled in multiple directions. And that's why Jesus is like, hey, 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 the answer here is not tell her to help you. The answer here is you need to move from being distracted by many things to focusing on one thing. That's the real answer here. You're going to have to say no oftentimes to Good things. That's the hard part. Man, when it comes to saying no to bad things, that's easier. Let's go, you know, blow a bunch of money and, you know, drive our car into a tree or whatever. Like, no. It's not saying no to that. It's saying no to all of the good things that seem to have good value and in, in saying yes first to sitting at Jesus' feet. Saying no to good things so that you can say yes to the most important things is what this passage is dealing with. You know, with every inherent, excuse me, with every time you say yes to something, you're inherently saying no to something else. The life of a disciple of drawing near to Jesus is just the intentional practice of going, I am choosing what I'm going to say yes to, and I'm choosing what I'm going to say no to. Martha was so consumed with what she was doing for Jesus, and Mary was consumed with what Jesus was doing for her. This, this passage, though, this I want to just kind of end on this thought, and then, and then we're going to sing. Mary chose. Just maybe seem to circle that word, chose. She chose. Man, I wish it didn't say that, right? She chose. I have, I have no choice. I have to do all these things. I have no choice. Yes, you do. You're intentionally choosing to say, nope, so that you can say, Yes. The gospel of grace is not about do and don't. It's about done. And it's about prioritizing your relationship with Christ first. Your doing comes out of your being. Jesus prioritizes sitting over setting. Take time to align, surrender your agenda, and then prioritize being before doing. Now in the next few minutes here, we're going to sing a song and I want you just to, to stay seated, just as kind of an exercise of sitting at the feet of Jesus, right? We're just going to sit at Jesus' feet. I, I mentioned earlier that this, this story of, of Mary and Martha in Luke 8, you can see some parallel passage. I, want, I would encourage you to go home today and read John chapters 11 and 12 in light of this. And I want you, I want you to notice something when you, when you do this. Because Mary's kind of the, the key player in this story where Jesus is affirming what she's chosen is, is good, is best. 
Every time you see Mary in scripture, she's always in one place. She's always at Jesus' feet. Here she's sitting at Jesus' feet, listening, learning. In John 11, she's crying at Jesus' feet, weeping at Jesus' feet because her brother Lazarus has died. And then in John 12, she's breaking this flask, this this jar of very precious, fragrant oil, and she's worshiping at Jesus' feet, and she's anointing his feet. The posture of a disciple is at the feet of Jesus, drawing near. So as we sing this song, let's just do this. Let's sit at Jesus' feet and worship him.